The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Porsche has published a map of the best driving roads that have been sent into them via hashtag GTS Routes, via well, okay. their new car, okay. the new GTS line uh, of mm-hmm. the 911. And they've got this map that I've been cruising around and looking here and thinking, we need to cover this. We need to talk about this. But you could argue, and rightfully so, that the best driving roads in the world has been covered ad nauseum for years. Many publications have done this. All kinds of people have written articles. You can just simply Google it, and you'll come up with all kinds of roads. But what Todd and I want to talk about is not the best driving roads in the world and the usual suspects that we all think of, but mm-hmm. really more along the lines of what's your therapy? What's your favorite driving road? Because Todd and I sure. have ours, but of course we haven't driven nearly all the roads on the planet quite yet. We're, uh, we're working <laughs> our way there. But, uh, we are, yes. But it's more along the lines of uh, what we want to talk about here is our favorite driving roads. And even this Porsche map, as cool as it is, the ones around Salt Lake City don't even mention the ones that are our favorites. Which the really I'm, good ones. I'm yeah, I agree. Fascinated I agree. By. Yeah. So therefore, Porsche's incomplete here. We need to. You know what I find interesting? <laughs> we so, need to somebody help. will will somebody will probably kill themselves doing this. But somebody at some point should try to count the number of Porsche mentions in one podcast, <laughs> and another person should actually compile the fa- the number of podcasts we've started where Porsche was the first word. You've added to that list tonight <laughs> as well, which I think is quite impressive. But you're right. I mean, everybody has these. I mean, I have an app on my phone that I got. I mean, years ago. I don't even think they make it anymore. But an app on my phone that was a driving roads app that BMW created that gets updated. There's a lot of other ways to find these that are, you can actually chase some of the motorcycle sites because a lot of the times mm, the mo- good motorcycle roads good. are also the good uh, driving roads. And so you can chase it that way as well. There's a lot of ways to do this. But you and I kind of wanted, I mean, we get a lot of questions about how do we find roads? What are great roads? We're going to talk about that. We're going to list a few. We're going to ask for your submissions as well. We also, of course, do have a car debate coming up. Of course, this is a Tuesday uh, podcast, so it's a topic Tuesday. That will be, guess what, about driving roads. We have a car debate coming up that I am still scratching my head about. Um, <laughs> Agreed. I'm so... I, it, it's it's like a parallel universe car debate. It, it doesn't even <laughs> feel like it connects to reality, or at least not my reality. So we're going to talk about that car debate for Jay, and then so many great questions. Thank you on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I have marked a few that are kind of all over the map on on topics, and I look forward to diving into those as well. Yeah, we've got a ton of them on here. So great questions, everyone. Thank you again. This is really fun. But as Todd said, you heard him mention that we're going to ask for your submissions for driving roads. And again, these are not just coming up with the the roads that we all think of, like Stelvio. Sure. Well, Todd and I have never driven that road, so that's not yeah, on our yeah. list. So my question to all of you listening is, what's on your list? And send it to mm-hmm. us, and we're going to compile this on the website as volume one. We can turn this into as sure, many encyclopedic sure, yeah, yeah. volumes as we want with your help, with your submissions. But I thought there's so many articles out there, but you can probably find the article and think, well, my road isn't on there. This writer, mm-hmm, this author mm-hmm. doesn't know about my road and my favorite place and you know sure, the thing yeah. that I think about. So that's what Todd and I want to talk about is our own favorites. It's not about Stelvio, although I want to know South America. I want to know Europe. I want to know you know, the sure, Baltic yeah. states, all those great places we don't know of. So send those in, TV at Gmail, the same place you send your car debates. But just, mm-hmm. you know, here's my favorite driving road. Here's me. And it just – it doesn't have to be one or two maybe. Um, yeah. But, and that's yeah. fine. But uh, well, I think you should kick it off here. Good. Well, what's also interesting on this is you guys have asked off and on, you've asked, how do we find roads? And and one of the things that Paul and I have joked about and laughed about is that this show would have been so much harder 15, 20 years ago mm-hmm. because one yeah. of our best resources is Google Maps because you can we can go to a location and then we can start digging around on Google Maps and you can do the squiggle. And this is how weird I am, and I will admit that this is weird. I will actually sometimes when I find a road that I, I – for a place I haven't been before and I'm scouting a road – I'll do the little guy down on the road on Google Maps, and then I'll walk that guy down the road picking shoot locations. And the way my brain works, <laughs> I have a really good brain for visual imaging. 
and remembering visual images. And I can then drive down that road having only seen the photos, only seen the Google car image, and I can refine those camera positions having done it on Google. I know I'm not normal, but I've done that more than once. <laughs> I want to say but, you've got somewhat of a photographic memory. Do you feel that way? Do you think so? I, I, I do pretty well. I do pretty well. I mean, sometimes better than others. I don't always get stuff first time, but if I, like walk through a video game or if I go down a road or this Google thing I'm talking about, I mean, those images stay really well locked and I can reference them mm-hmm. and I'm good with spatial realization in relation to images too. I'm very good at that, which I didn't realize for a long time was weird or atypical, but I've been in enough situations now where I realize, you know, there was that one time, now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> where you and I and Edgar were driving down a road I'm going to come up, 33 in Ojai. It's a great yeah. road. It's yep. a wonderful road outside of Los Angeles. We've shot a good number of pieces there. Uh, last year we shot our uh, Focus RS versus its competitors piece there. That's right. We were driving down that road. We hadn't been there in probably eight months, at least, maybe even a year. And we were driving down that road together. And I got on the radio and I said, I forget who was leading, but I said whoever was leading, I was like, all right, around this next corner, you're going to see that tree on the left and the turnout. That's where we want to turn out for the next camera position. And <laughs> you told me after the fact that Ed- Edgar leaned over to you and said, how does he do that? Because <laughs> I hadn't been on this road in the better part of a year and I yeah. knew exactly what corner we were. That, my brain just works that way. I don't it's, have an explanation it's for it. The rest of us are playing catch up when you do that because you'll say, okay, the turnout there, I have to associate it by a memorable car shoot. I can almost do it, and sometimes I can't. Mm, yeah, but yeah, yeah. if I, you know, say, well, why didn't you just say the Corvette C7 corner where we did the beauty shots, or the Nissan <laughs> sure. GTR corner where we had yeah. the whatever? I, I have to associate it with a car and a memory, and that helps me tremendously. But you can just be like, well, I remember a bottle cap, and there was a cigarette butt over there and a tree. You, you guys know what I'm talking about? We're like, ah, yeah, it's like. You got me. We're driving along. We're driving along at eighty, and I'll be like, "Yeah, okay, it's a left, and then a right, and then the turnout." I'm talking about. It's amazing, I know. It's, everyone. It's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's very amazing. Weird. But, <laughs> but but I have to say, in California, 33 in Ojai, which is honestly kind of in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it, it's it's a road you go to because you're intending to drive it. Yeah. There's no oh, reason yeah. for you to go to Ojai normally. I mean, there are people that live there, and it's great, but it's almost dead center between the western edge of Los Angeles and Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. Is Ojai. Yeah. And you just turn off and you find 33, and it's one of these cool roads, and I want to relate it to one in Utah as well, where about every five miles it kind of changes personality, which is one of the things I just love about a really good mountain road. I mean, all of the roads I really love are a little bit mountainous, and I, I like that sensation of, hmm, if I get this wrong, I'm airborne. I like that sensation. <laughs> that, that's, that's not normal either, but I do enjoy that. Yikes. But, but Ojai just changes its personality and the style of the road about every five miles. There's some high plain stuff. There's some tight forest stuff in, in, the, in the trees. I'm very impressed by it. And yeah. I'll, I'll stay in California, though, for a minute. Okay. A couple you've probably heard of are uh, the Pines to Palms Highway. Good. Over in uh, yeah. Palm Springs, uh, Palm Desert area. We shot our uh, BMW M235i and Audi S3 piece there recently. I mean, I mean, a couple years ago. What's interesting is that recently I've noticed some motor trend stuff, and some drive stuff, some others shooting on that road because it's just a great road. And if you're ever in Palm Springs, Palm Desert for any reason, you can take a good part of the day, and that road is spectacular. Highly recommend that. Um, when we did our GT350 shoot in the San Francisco Bay Area, this was one of those Google search roads. Yeah, Mines yeah. Road south of Livermore, California. If you live yep. in the San Francisco Bay Area, yeah. try that road. It is surprising because it goes so much farther than you probably need it to. And it keeps changing up. And there were some places where it was narrow, too. There were some places where it was, okay, good, we have two lanes. Other places where it was like, this is kind of a lane and a half. I think we better slow down a lot. <laughs> but it was a very cool right. road. Right. And then one of my all-time favorites we featured in Mid-Engines and Mountains, that, that uh, feature film we did, with the, the Lotus, the 4C, and the Cayman. It's called Onion Valley Road. It's a road to nothing. It's a road outside of Independence, California, which is on the eastern edge of uh, the California Sierra Nevada Mountains there. So it's, it's a tiny little town of Independence, which is kind of near nothing. But you go westbound out of Independence, and it's just it's Stelvio-style switchbacks up to about 10,500 feet because it's a major hiking trailhead. But there's no other purpose for it. Yeah. That's a great road. <laughs> yeah. And so if oh, you're going man. up there, you're going up there to hike 
or you're going up there, if you're weirdos like us, you've driven hours to now drive this road. But that's one of the roads that we <laughs> <Exactly>. featured. <laughs> Seriously, it's one of the roads we featured on mid Inches of Mountains. And I knew about it because I had done a solo backcountry trip for three or four days, and I had used that road. And this is back when I had my Z car. And I remember it was one of those kind of glorious moments. I mean, I love being in the backcountry anyway, but I came out of th- like three days in the backcountry by myself, which is always really recharging and challenging. Yeah. And yeah. I got into my Z car, threw my backpack in the back of the Z car, took off the T-tops. Yes, I'm suddenly in a movie from 1980, but stay with me. <laughs> uh, did you have a cell phone antenna with a little curly cue on you it? You know I did. Yes, I had I had the cell phone that was brick-sized. Awesome. No, but I went hammering, hammering down this road, and I was halfway down the road and thought, we have to shoot this. We have to shoot this road. And it was years later we came back with those cars for that feature. It's one of my all-time favorites in the U.S., and it's near nothing. It's just like a destination road for no purpose other than that. <laughs> but I have to mention that one. If you're weirdos like us, you drive a long way to go drive? Uh huh. Yeah. It, yeah. It's it, exactly. I mean, that's my that's my California kind of headlines list. I mean, there's so many. California is littered with them, and you and I've done a lot of them. I've got a couple other states I want to touch on, but I mean, there's so many I won't cover. It's not even it's not even funny. Well, yeah, and and the thing that you and I have marveled every time we're in California, Onion Valley Road is a huge, great example. Everything is paved. When mm-hmm, we're mm-hmm. looking on the Google Maps, or we're you know dropping the little guy onto the blue line and you know he, yeah, yeah, yeah. he gives us the street view everything usually is paved not so yep. in utah not so everywhere yep. else it's almost like we can yep. count on some squiggly line and i liked how you said it when we were doing planning for mid-engines and mountains you said wherever the spaghetti draped on the side of a mountain is that's what we're looking for and you can yeah, pretty much yeah. be guaranteed it's paved it's funny, you know, cycling websites rate these roads differently. They rate them by ascent. I we don't care ascent, whatever. We just <laughs> twisty, yeah, you're right. windy, apexy. Yep, yep. And uh <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's those kinds of roads that are not on all the usual suspects kinds of articles. I mean, you mm-hmm. kinda have to know about that when you kinda have to have been doing some digital satellite searching with Google Maps, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, yeah. it's uh it's fun to you know, share that kind of stuff and talk about it because, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. You <laughs> drive for a long way to go drive and it resets yeah, I know. you. But, you I know, know, it's great. Highway 20, just west of Shreveport, all the way across Texas, isn't on the list. It's, <laughs> you know, what are you unless- talking about? Come on, why wouldn't that be on there? I mean, that's, that's I mean, genius stuff right there. Oh. oh, yeah. That's what a, like 850 miles or something like that, just under. Across the width of Texas, I yes, and and, and having imagine. grown up in Texas and having done that drive a few times, Texas is one of the only states I can think of that just wants to rub in your face how big it is, and when you cross going westbound, you cross uh, over into Texas uh, from Louisiana. As soon as you cross the border on either ten or twenty, either one. The first road sign you see is a road sign that shows you 850 miles to El Paso. Just to rub it in, just – there's no reason for you to know that, but just so you're aware, it's that far. It's it's ridiculous. But most of that is insanely flat. I will say, having grown up in Texas and driven around there a lot, the Austin Hill Country area actually has some really good roads. Mm. Uh, You've mentioned that. I've not tried this. I've not experienced this. They're not – I mean, they're not mountain roads, obviously, because it's Texas, but the Hill Country – does some surprisingly good elevation changes and you know you can get around the Lake Travis area there and you know there is some stuff that is surprisingly good in the Austin area you wouldn't expect it because most of Texas I hate to say it is what you envision it's oh look this road goes straight and I can see to the curvature of the earth there's a lot of that in Texas but Austin is a real exception or the whole hill, hill country area there there are some surprising roads. I wish I could call out some specifics, but uh, it's been a long time since I drove there. I mean, I can run around on the, the Google map here and find a few, but there are definitely some around the Lake Travis and uh, Beehive area and that kind of stuff because I used to go there to climb. Here's the crazy thing. Long before <laughs> we were ever shooting the show, so most of the places that I would drive to rock climb or to go backcountry ended up being, unbeknownst, unbeknownst to me, like a decade's worth of road scouting for shooting the show later. It's like, oh, you know what road we need? And Paul be like, where did you get this road? Yeah, and that no wasn't kidding. even pulling it up on the map. It was just me going, oh, I've driven it like 10 times to go climbing. Let's just go out there. So, yeah, it is amazing how that stuff relates, actually. 
That's so funny. Well, I will recommend one that's near us in Utah, and that is Highway 150 as part of the Icon shoot. And that mm-hmm. is also known as Mirror Lake Highway that goes all the way up to, I think it's Bald Peak, one of these peaks out here. And uh, yeah, you get yeah. deep into the mountains there, and it just – that was the road that you and I were chasing each other in the M2 and the 1M mm-hmm. and just yep. trading yep. off and going – we were speechless when we got out. Yeah. We were yeah, it was way amazing. up there too near Wyoming and just Yeah, if you envision, if you envision Utah – the shape of Utah is essentially it's a rectangle, but it has a corner taken out of it. That corner kind of points towards Salt Lake, and this road actually heads up into Wyoming right through that kind of removed square, that removed corner of Utah. So you can drive 150 all the way to Wyoming. Uh, I don't know that you'd want to, but you can. And uh, yeah, that was the that was the shoot day for the the 1MM2 part of Icon, which was awesome. But there was another road used in Icon and also used on our uh, Miata generation piece here in Utah. One of my favorites, Highway 35, goes from a, a city uh, called Camas to another city called Hanna, and it reminds me quite a bit. It's it, to me, it's our Utah equivalent of that road in uh, in Ojai, mm-hmm. where about every five miles, it's different. And that, I just, I love that road. It's a great road. Now, the difference between that road and the road in Ojai is you're never going to see enormous cattle or moose or a random herd of sheep on the Mm, one in Ojai. Whereas all of the above I have seen on the one here. And when you drive a car as small as I do, you come around the corner. We, We were actually leading a drive one time on this road. And we came down the road at a little bit of speed. Right at dusk, it's like right at that time when you you think you probably should turn on your headlights, the most but it's not quite that dark time, yet. Actually, exactly. No, exactly right. You remember this? We came around that corner, and walking down the middle of the downhill lane was, I swear to you, the largest bull I have seen in my life. And he happened to be the color of midnight. He was just, he was like a black hole for all light. He just sucked it all up. He didn't care. He was two-thirds the width of my FRS. He didn't care that he was in the middle of the road. You were going to move for him. And thank God he wasn't near a corner. No kidding. Because I can't imagine coming around a corner to be surprised by it. I was surprised enough by it because it was so hard to see, but he was just this black hole in the lane. And we all got we all got down to like walking pace and eased our way by him. And of course, he's he's eyeing all of us like, "What are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing on my road? Yeah, what are you doing? Seriously, yeah, all bad. Why is that? We never had wildlife like that walking in the middle of the road. It's Huge. Exactly. Did a boulder fall off the mountain? Why is it walking and he looking was back at me? He was all bad. But like, we never had that in Ohio, but we have had that in Utah. Those are those are a couple of great ones. There's another one in Utah I need to take you on that actually Chance took me on last yeah. summer. Nebo Canyon Loop. It's south of this. Salt Lake a little bit. Nebo Canyon Loop is a spectacular road. It's it's surprisingly good and uh, goes through a couple of great peaks and has some ridiculous, ridiculous twisties in it. Uh, it's got a little bit of everything, too. But, of course, that's the thing. Some of these great ones are near nothing. I mean, Nebo Canyon Loop isn't really that close to where we are, whereas the one that we're talking about, the Mirror Lake and the Hannah, they're not that far. You know, they're under an hour. Yeah, Nebo no, right. is a road trip to get to it, but then it's a great road. So crazy. Yeah, there's uh, there's some others that we've experienced. Uh, we've gotten some press cars out of Denver and done a few things up in the Rockies there. Uh, mm-hmm. Gosh, I remember you know growing up there. I grew up in Fort Collins, so yeah, all uh, all the canyon roads, Bing Thompson there, and and uh, all the canyon roads well, are kind of fun. I'd like to go back and shoot those of, actually. Yeah, one of my favorites is the is the peak to peak highway. It's it's Highway seventy two and Highway seven. It goes kind of from uh, from the Nederland area up to Estes Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, goes by yeah. Long's Peak there. Yeah. We drove that actually years ago. We had a, a Buick review we did up there. I mean that's a great road. And then there's one that I have scouted and not yet driven, but I have seen plenty of it, and it is locked in my brain, as we talked about before. Highway 550, western edge of Colorado, Durango to Ure. Look at that on a map. Ooh. That's just, it's like like somebody was having a seizure or possibly a seismic event and tried to draw a road. <laughs> I mean, it's just, that that to me is perfect. I just can't wait. I want to get on that road. It's, of course, it's not overly close to us, but that's on my short list for sure. No kidding. Wow. These are just – yeah, it's uh, it's sort of still in the middle of winter here, and so I just got to dreaming about, huh, good driving roads that we need to go experience. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yep. it just kind of got me thinking, so that's why, uh, why we're doing this. But uh, I will say, write to us, as I've said, with your own kind of off-the-radar sort of road. 
because, again, Agreed. these articles Agreed. that you can read about are endless. And, you know, it would include Mulholland Highway in Los Angeles and all these of usual course, suspects, which are yeah, great, yeah, yeah. but just over-trafficked and mm-hmm. part of the scenery, part of the landscape already. The ones we're talking about, you have to get out there and go discover. And that's yeah. kind of the hidden yeah. gems that I think we're looking for. And it's just to share. It's, you know, of course, not everybody listening is going to go drive your personal road instantly. But it's just yeah. more, you know, well, hey, but, here's some great stuff. Yeah, yeah. One of the thing, I'm glad you brought up kind of the usual suspects there because one of the things that happens, obviously, for obvious geographical reasons, is the stuff that's close to a major city just has a whole lot more people on it. And so sometimes right. to find the real driving nirvana of it, you have to drive a while because once you got there, like that Onion Valley thing, mm-hmm. you're going to be the only car on that road. Why? Because no one has a reason to be there. <laughs> I mean, there's just – there's really not a good reason to be there other than I'm hiking and how many of you are there and or I'm driving it. So you're in the middle of nothing. I mean, you drove hours to get there. But, of course, as a result, you have this perfect road you can run laps on. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. Yeah. That was the road that I found the uh, the uh, elk being tranquilized and helicoptered way up into the backcountry. No, it was it was Wasn't the bighorn sheep. If it you listen to our right. behind right. behind the scenes podcast pretty early on, it was in our first year of podcasting. We did a behind the scenes piece on mid inches of mountains and that shoot, and we came across some of the most bizarre veterinary medicine being practiced on the side of a mountain <laughs> that included <laughs> low flying helicopters and tranquilized bighorn sheep. I'm not making it up. That actually yeah, happened, we, we, and that was at the top of that road. We were so surprised that cameras didn't come out instantly. I mean, when a helicopter is hovering 10 feet off the deck and dangling a bighorn sheep underneath mm-hmm. while veterinarians are doing their thing, it's a little distracting. So <laughs> nobody thinks, you know what I ought to do? I ought to get a shot of this. Yeah, we, we're, park we were rangers are yeah. yelling at you and sharp rocks mm-hmm. and sports cars. It's a party. Yes, all bad. It's all bad. Party. Yes. Well, uh, well, yeah. There's so many roads we could cover, but we should probably try to move on. I mean, there's look. The, one of the things that I love about this is we are curious to hear from you guys because we are looking forward to in, in 2017 doing a little more traveling and wherever we go to shoot a car. You know, we're excited to have great roads. So we we've done a lot of the Western U.S., but a lot of you guys have done everywhere else. So please let us know your thoughts. We're going to try to do a car debate for Jay. Mm-hmm. Who we mentioned recently because Jay ran into somebody else listened to the podcast. We told that story. We had Corey on a while back who was shopping for his very tall boss. Yes. Jay yes. randomly ran into Corey at the Detroit Auto Show. We mentioned that small world story already. But now we've circled back to cover Jay's car debate. And I may have to stop and just sit quietly for a while because <laughs> this one this one this one just grinds my gears to a halt. If you've seen the end of Icon, I have made an exhortation for all of you who own a 1M to go drive them. For that matter, if you own a BMW of any sort, go drive them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Jay doesn't own a 1M. He owns two. A black one and the Valencia orange one. Not only that, he owns... I just... I... Todd's in pain over here. You can hear him writhing on the floor. Jay owns over 30 cars. He he said, I I don't want to... Break the two-scroll rule here. I don't want to make it too long, but I've got other 30 other cars. Jay, I'd love to share that list with everybody listening, honestly, because we're shopping for you, and we don't know what other cars you already have, which is my concern. However, Jay ran into Corey. They were talking about the Mark 7 GTI, and they were at the Detroit I show, just, and I, I it just, was the I'm coolest sorry. thing. I, oh. <laughs> coolest thing, but I liken this – I liken Jay's situation to be – it's going to sound strange, but stay with me. Jay, it almost okay. sounds like you're tired of cars. And I want to create this scenario. Mm. It's like chefs. What do chefs eat when they go home? Do sure, they secretly sure. yeah, eat yeah. Taco Bell and KFC and nasty in the box? Or do they eat cold <laughs> cereal and all the Mediterranean munchies like olives and salami and artichokes and cheese and all that stuff? What do chefs go make themselves after they spend a day cooking beautiful food for everybody else? For other people. Yeah, interesting So therefore, yeah. when you have a 30-plus car collection and a lot of cars that you're experiencing, Jay has got two 1Ms? Two. I think you should sell one of them to Todd, but ah. that's a whole other podcast debate. Uh, what else do you do here? I'm and just, I, oh. I'm just sort of wondering, what do you, what do you consume? It's... We've all been there. We're hungry and tired, and I just need food in me. 
but I'm uh-huh. tired yeah. of food yeah, yeah, yeah. and I love food, but I'm just sick of eating and I just, I need something to, I want to be excited about flavor again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I want to, I want to stop. I'm going to stop a lot in this car debate, but uh, <laughs> two two completely divergent thoughts. Uh, Jay, first off, I will say this to you: want to be friends? Uh, I think <laughs> I think you and your thirty cars just just need friends. I, I really agree. would like to know where in the world you are because you said you actually traveled to the Detroit Auto Show, so you're not in the Detroit area. Where are you and your warehouse of thirty cars? And can we come visit? That's right. I'm taking this opportunity hey, to excellent. invite myself. To your warehouse, because one of the things we talk about all the time here is that all of us, if we had the means, both financially and space-wise, we'd probably all have 30 cars. But most of us, this is the everyday driver car debate. I'm not sure we can see most everyday drivers from this this pedestal <laughs> one at the moment. We're talking you have 30 cars. I'm just... 30. I'm having so much trouble relating on one level, and another level, I'm seething with jealousy and can't wait to come visit. So I'm quite conflicted right now. <laughs> I really, I'm quite confused. I still think your next car should be a 1M. I really do. That's that's. The I next... would like my next car to be a 1M. It, you know, it's funny that, that you bring that up because here's here's actually, look, I'm going to try to wrench this to a place we can actually talk about it. Here's Here's Jay's thing. He has... Two, I can't believe I'm going to say this sentence. He has two 1Ms, okay? The orange one has 21,000 miles. The black one has 11,000 miles. So neither of them are high-mileage cars. He also has an M2, because if you're following along with the class when you have 30 cars, you probably also have an M2. Of course. I love you, Jay. I'm just I'm shaking my head this entire time. I want you to know how conflicted I am. I'm quite baffled right now. Um, later, I'm just going to sit in a corner and rock. That's what's going to happen. But right now... Um, so yeah, condolence cards a, can be sent to exactly <laughs> toddinthecorner.org. <laughs> Moving on, but but he has these two one Ms, and he has an M two that he's been using as his daily driver. And his his main question, the reason he's writing us, is not to brag because he's actually been very subtle about the cars. Clearly that he not. He's, we're we're kind of overemphasizing things we're, here. We're 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 really kind of making Jay out to not be the guy that he writes to be. But right. I, anyway, I'm having fun with it. But but he's writing to say, okay, I have this M2, and I'm wondering, should I keep this as a daily driver, or should I, what he's thinking about doing is getting rid of the M2 and driving one of the one M's <laughs> as a daily driver, <laughs> and keeping like, the other one. That's such a this crazy is the statement. weirdest sentence ever. That's that's so crazy. Who okay, I'm, I'm rewinding. I'm rewinding myself, but no. But here's the, here's the big thing I do want to say to you, Jay, and that is I have a thing in general where I don't I don't get it when people own and drive multiple versions of the same car, and you see this a lot in in families that have cars as appliances. Oh, look, we both have Acura TLs. I like the Acura TL. Why did you buy two of them? Yeah, for a while. It was if you two have Hummers, two car, his and yeah, hers. Well, Hummers. you see that. You see that? Oh, we have two Suburbans. D- d- look, if you have two cars and they are both the same car, branch out right to us at the Everyday Driver Car Debate, okay? We are here to help you. But I'm going to relate that back to Jay here, and that is I think you need to have – like if you've got lots of cars to have the opportunity to drive, don't have one that you daily drive and you have another one in reserve of the same car. Legitimately sell one of your 1Ms. I would like to have a conversation with you about maybe selling one of them to me. Or, you know what? Could it be a tax write-off? Why don't you donate a 1M to Everyday Driver and write it off on your taxes? I've got all kinds of crazy ideas. Financial planning also brought to you by. Yes, exactly. I could take a 1M off your hands, Jay, if you really want to get rid of one. And you know what? You should get rid of the high-mileage one, which happens to be orange. And if you've met me at all, I like childlike orange cars that slide sideways. So I think I could help you, my friend Jay. I am. Making your case. But but no, legitimately, I think the answer is not to drive one one of the 1Ms. This is so insane. One of the 1Ms every day (laughs) and keep the other one in reserve. I say just keep one 1M. Let's get you a different daily driver if you don't want to keep the M2. I actually think the M2 is a better daily driver than the 1M. But if the M2 isn't doing it for you, let's get you a different daily driver and just keep your one of your 1Ms as one of your slate of cars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of your 30. I, uh, I, <laughs> we've got to get to the bottom check of the email please, here. Check, please. My brain is now mush. <laughs> I need to move on. I, I've got to get down here to the bottom where Jay says, what do we think? Because you mentioned his scenario, you daily driving the Valencia Orange 1M. Mm-hmm. He loves the M2. I love the M2. I look forward to my M2. 
And he's looking at the Camaro SS1LE or mm -hmm. a 981 GTS or a 997 GTS. Okay. And mm -hmm. he's also excited about the Shelby GT350. Okay. All right. But without knowing the other cars that exist, Jay, true, I, true. I look at this and I come back to my story. I come back to the – it's not that you're tired of cars, but you're looking for flavor and jumping from – yeah. One yeah. latest thing to the next latest thing to the next latest thing. We would all love to have those cars. We would be freaked mm -hmm. out and mm -hmm. giddy with joy just having the opportunity to buy those cars. I mean, I keep coming back to my 981 GTS. You think yeah. Porsches. Wow. You, you ask yourself while you're driving this car. I ask myself, how does 90 miles an hour or 120 miles an hour feel so – relaxing or stable, smooth, <laughs> uncomplicated, such a non-event. How does this car require so little mm, of me insane. when the straight line speeds get so high? How is that yeah, possible? Yeah. So therefore, it is shocking. Porsches are not immune to this in terms of uh, the connection. I, I love the connection, but I've got to come to Lotus. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know if you own any Lotai, but it's it's the food that chefs eat when they're tired of food. And <laughs> this is a Porsche guy talking here. Because yeah, I take your point. Yeah, it's, it's a palate well, cleanser from, a, from an automotive perspective. I see where you're going. Listen, there's less isolation between you and the road. And yeah. I'm thinking about the Lotus 400 in my mind while I'm talking mm, to you all. The Vor 400. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> less insulation, sound deadening, less electronics and features, less weight, less metal, Less bureaucracy, mm -hmm. less lawyers, <laughs> less overthinking of everything. You can almost sense how few employees Lotus has when you drive the car. They're very dedicated employees and they're very good at what they do, but there's just less of everything and it just it strips away everything. And like I said, Porsche is not immune to you know adding features and all that stuff. They yeah, just overcome yeah. it with I don't know how. But the next generation of Porsche always seems to outdo the last. And you, you want that generation now, too. So mm -hmm. how is this possible? But Lotus, it's the food you eat when you're tired of food. That's my... Interesting. And I thought, Interesting. Of, the, I thought of the way I felt when I drove that 400. And you and I drove it for mm -hmm. the briefest of moments in Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. as a Porsche super freak, I loved that car. I marveled at the it's a very good point. The light. Well, this is this is driving. I've never done driving. Wait, yes, I have, but this is a different take on the whole story. Huh. Yeah, yeah. They have a they have a very unique flavor that obviously, as we know, speaks to me. And you've accidentally come up with this week's T-shirt. Last week, I actually I did. did make the T-shirt. <laughs> yes, I did, did make the T-shirt we talked about last week that was <laughs> Ask Me About Cheap Phaetons. And I have my own on order, just so you know. I, I made I, it. I ordered it. I told Paul I did it. And I true. think he's still shaking his head at me. I'm, you can't but see me, But we did make the ask, ask Me About Cheap Phaetons T-shirt, so we have that. But you've come up with this week's accidentally. It's the Lotus logo, and below it, it just says, Less Lawyers. <laughs> You know what I'm saying, though. It's just less of everything. Yes, yes. it it feels. It's yeah, just, I, I actually like the I, fact that you brought up use the word bureaucracy. <laughs> I, it's weird to think of bureaucracy in a car company, but you're right. It I mean, is, there is exists. that you get multiple layers of just yeah bureaucracy and company infrastructure, and that you start to feel that in cars. And you're right, Lotus survives outside of that in many ways, or barely survives outside right, of that. Right. So I love that you brought it up. I, I, you, believe it or not, I read Jay's story and didn't even think Lotus, but I'm really? glad that you did. I mean, nope, I didn't. The, the GT350, the M2, the 1M, the Porsches, all amazing, all luscious and amazing mm -hmm. and beautiful, and you would be happy. But for how long, Jay? For sure. how yeah, long? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I think of. What's your new love affair? What's going to make you rediscover everything and go, oh, I, I, I look back at this car. That's the car I gravitate to despite mm -hmm. the rest of the collection. Interesting. Interesting. It's yeah. the car yeah, that yeah. intrigues me that I can't figure out. It's that person that you, you cannot really read. Sure. You can't put your thumb sure. on them. Are they, are they kidding with me? Are they real? Or are they, Sure. You know yeah. those people that you think everything that they say to you is a lie. The stories are so fantastic and so outrageously cool. You think, are, are you lying? Are you, did that really happen? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like that with the Evora 400. I felt it really That's cool. metal and molecules and all the materials that everybody else has to work with, too. This is how Lotus figured out how to use them? Wow. That's so interesting. I, I, I'm liking this breakdown from you because we hadn't – I mean, you, uh, people have <laughs> well, seen that piece on the Evora 400. And you and I did. We drove it combined for 20 minutes. Yeah, it was. It was unbelievably fast. briefest of time. Yeah. It's interesting to hear how it struck you, you know, with your background and with your, your GTS and all that. It's interesting to hear how it struck you because no one's surprised that I enjoyed it. This is not – I mean, this is like the lowest surprise category. People are <laughs> drinking themselves into a stupor every time I mention Lotus on this podcast. So this is not a surprise. But it's interesting to hear the kind of reset feeling that it gave you. And I do think mm-hmm. that is a great recommendation for Jay. I had a couple I wanted to comment on that he either brought up or ones that he didn't bring up, which I think are kind of conspicuously absent. He might have. You though, did mention in the thirty car. He, he might exactly. He might have them. Who knows? We don't but know. You you mentioned the 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 current the brand new Camaro SS one LE. Interesting, but I don't think of that car as let's find you a daily driver. I think I hope you're going to go drive that car hard. I hope there's some canyon runs. I hope there's some tracking. I feel like you buy the Camaro SS one LE as a daily. I, I kind of feel like you're not playing to its strengths, um, I, I, my personal opinion. But then you brought up the, yeah, I mean, Paul's mentioned already the GTSs. Yes, you'd be happy with those cars. But I do think you're on to something, Paul, as hmm. maybe that kind of German refinement perspective there, maybe we should step away from that. But there was one I felt like, where is this on the consideration list? Why is there no Corvette C7? Or more specifically, the Grand Sport? I you're talking like the about Grand Sport better. That's funny. I do too. I do too because because the Grand Sport is all of the Z06 look, but it's not the extra track madness, if you will. So if you daily that car, I think you'd still enjoy it. It's a good place to be. It's a nice car. It's got good noises. It's a great car. If you want to track it, fantastic. If you want to cruise in it, great. And it's very different than the other stuff you've listed off here. So I really wondered why isn't the C7 listed and what about a Grand Sport? Because I think – I know it sounds like a left turn, but I think – it's weird for me to say this because it's not <laughs> I don't know that it's really really reality wow. but I feel like the Grand Sport makes more sense as the daily than the Camaro SS does I can I, see that I feel like that I, I can see that so I that was the one I really put out is why is that not on here so after you donate one of your 1Ms <clears throat> to Everyday Driver preferably the orange one because it's the high mileage one that's the one you really ought to get rid of but <laughs> man, anyway man that thing's once a bucket you, of bolts now yeah I, I mean come runs. on man that's 21,000 well miles what are you keeping that for slough that off but no, Jay come on why are you but, keeping but, that but, bucket of bolts but around in, for but in, but, but in reality the, the people that the people that have 1Ms by and large have low mile 1Ms your 11,000 mile 1M is probably going to be the one you should keep yeah. So, okay. So so I would say if you're wanting to unload something, keep the M2 because it's different than the 1M. Keep one of the 1Ms. I'll take the other one. No, uh, but uh, get rid of one of the uh, get rid of the other 1M. And then let's get you something that is very different. And I love that Paul went for Lotus. I am actually going to Corvette. And uh, this is a weird one, but fun. It is. And we both went to the things that aren't our natural natural proclivities. I uh, You're right. I liken that to because we love cars. And just because we have our preferences doesn't mean we can glom onto something that just isn't always us. Because, of course, it it would get boring if I said Porsche. But Porsche is not immune. They're not perfect. As you said, there Mm, might be a little bit of something lost because they just do it so well. They're just such a world beater. Wow. I'm floored. I love that. But then that reset feeling, as you succinctly stated, Lotus, less lawyers. You're welcome, yeah. world. That's that's the T-shirt. But but here's the but here's the thing. I mean, we we've talked about it a lot just in relation. I know some of you are sick of this comparison, but in relation to my FRS versus your GTS, the biggest difference. Yes, there's power. Yes, there's price. Blah blah. But one of the biggest differences in those cars at the basis level is level of refinement. Yeah. Yeah, That plays into price. It plays into everything is level of refinement. And the interesting thing is my car at 60 feels a lot more – there's a lot more drama in my car at 60 than there is your car at 60, which has no drama <laughs> at all because it's no 60 drama. miles an hour. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So there is something to be said for 
I hate to call this a problem because it really isn't. It's a success on the part of the automaker. But you can refine something to a point that the interaction with the driver is now getting muted. And the reason we like cars like the Fiesta ST and the FRS and the Lotus Elise, or maybe I should say I like cars like that, the common thread in all of them is a lack of refinement that plays back to you and gives you benefit in just driver involvement and drama, if you will. But look, I'll be honest, I came back from uh, picking up my son tonight, and I was driving home having a conversation with him, and in the back of my mind thinking, this car is loud. I mean, it just is. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. loud. I love it. But, you know, there's, a, there's definitely a refinement s- section that is lost there, and we would have had a much easier conversation in other cars, but I love my car. So there is that trade-off. Oh, yeah. And that refinement, I need that in my life. I, everything the I Porsches are and the fact that I, they just keep getting yeah. better, I need that yeah. desperately. The stuff you're talking about is <laughs> – it's, it's You need not... it, Paul. Yes, you need it. It's water, air, and Porsche. I understand. It is. It I is. know. Yes, I but, know. You know, the the things, the aspects that you're talking about are not for all the time. 30 cars mm. in, maybe it is. And maybe you do need it. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. You and I are not 30 cars into each of our collections. True. So that's true, why yeah. I come back to this this different, trying to think differently here. And I realize I'm throwing rocks at glass houses that have Porsche etched <laughs> in the glass. But, you yes. know, maybe there's a time all and place. Of you know. All of the windows in your house have got a little tiny Porsche logo in the corner. They do. It's they're, Porsche they're glass. Laser no, that's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah. Okay. Yikes. Well, Jay, I hope that helps. I We are fascinated. And, of course, we would love to share the highlights out of your collection if you'd be so kind. Yeah. If not, that's no problem. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'd love to, uh, to get a follow-up here because – you can keep trading stuff in and out, but you know you have mm-hmm. it for yeah. just a little yeah, bit, yeah. and you taste it, and you think, okay, that was good, and you look around, and you think, what's next? Do you have to go so high-end, McLarens and Ferraris and that kind of stuff to extract the same kind of joy? Lotus Evora 400s are 102,000. The Grand Sports yeah. are 50-some yeah. thousand, 60-some They're thousand. 60, 60 to 70. They're not – I mean the C7s are 50s, but yeah, the Grand Sport is 60 to 70. All very expensive. Comparatively. But, yeah. you of know, course, comparatively yeah. to the, you know, the drug that we all desperately yeah. crave, yeah, yeah. we're trying to pull it back so it's not a, you know, I don't know. I shouldn't go to the, uh, the metaphors for drug dealing. That would be terrible, but um, <laughs> you get what I mean. I do. I still want to know where Jay's located because I think we may need a road trip. That's kind of what I'm really taking away from all of this. Uh, but uh, and 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 something in his stable needs exercise. I mean, I realize I'm just kind of walking in and inviting myself. You're to saying Jay's how house, can he but possibly just, drive them all? I mean, if he did it all for I a am. month, that's just one drive per month. They're sitting for 29 I days. Know. There's, there's what, what I'm saying is there's work to be done in Jay's garage, and you and I are dedicating ourselves to the task. This is what I'm saying. Somebody has to take one for Over the here. team and drive cars. Mm. And I, I would like Agreed. to put my hand in the air and go, hey, Jay, where are you, buddy? So anyway, <laughs> thank you for listening. I, thanks for writing in. I love the story with Corey. I love that you took your son to the Detroit Auto Show. I think all of this is awesome. I love that you wrote in because we cover, I mean, obviously we cover the gamut here. I mean, next week it'll be, well, somebody asked this evening, they were like, best best car under $10,000. I mean, we're all over the map here. It's one of the things we love about doing this podcast. Yep, yep. It's a lot of fun. Well, we will jump into the questions from all the social media accounts here, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm jumping on a few here. I uh, <laughs> There's good ones in here. Everybody keeps getting really creative. And since we're yeah, on definitely. Porsche, I have to address this highlight. The GT4 Cayman RS, is it mm-hmm. going to have an impact on GT4 prices is what Omar asks us. I think it's going to be the same in relation to the GT3 RS 911 versus the GT3. Mm-hmm. The GT3s are still expensive and very desirable. I would still like to have one very much. I don't know that there's going to be that big of a jump anymore. If you were looking for some sort of GT4 prices went through the floor, hey, everyone. No, I I don't think it's going to be like that. But what it does mean, since we're reading that engine is based on the GT3 RS motor and detuned 100 horsepower, guess what that means? You can hopefully instantly crank it way back up to 500 and – yeah. Suddenly, wow. So I am five hundred in that chassis is madness. Madness. It's madness. Yeah. But, but also is I, madness. But 
Yeah, of course it is. But 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 also, I think you're touching on something though. What's interesting. I hadn't thought about using the GT3 as a reference, but I think that's a fantastic reference because what's happened with GT3 versus GT3 RS, again, we're talking rarefied air here, but if you look at our pilgrimage film or you go on our pilgrimage trip or you're ever at Spa or The Ring, they're giving them out somewhere. There's like a GT3 dispenser in a corner that we haven't found yet, and they're just giving them <laughs> exactly. out. Exactly. I don't they're, know. They're supposed, to be, yeah. they're supposed to be rare cars, and you go to either of those tracks, and you're sitting on the sidelines going, how did I not get one? Right. Was I sick the day they had the sign-up sheet passed around? Or Everyone has one, which is the most insane yeah. sentence ever. But, but what's bizarre about the GT3 versus the RS is the GT3, you buy a new one, and it has kind of normal depreciation. The GT3 RS, you buy a new one, and it's instantly worth hundred grand more than what you paid for it. The RSs are so well sought after. Some of them are selling for, I mean, they're, they, they knew they're supposed to be, I'm going to get a little bit wrong, but like 160, 180-ish. People are selling them for 250 used Ugh. ones. Ugh. The, the RSs. Yeah, the So RSs, what's happening yeah. is I'm expecting that that is what will trickle down. It's a great point, Paul, and you've kind of set me on it. I think that's what we're talking about with the, the Cayman variation here. The GT4s will probably be, they will still sell. They will probably depreciate in a somewhat normal fashion. Mm-hmm. What'll probably happen if if we use the GT3 as reference, the if the GT4 RS exists, it'll be the one that almost instantly appreciates because it's rare and hard to get. <laughs> I mean, oh, you could only get the Veyron. I've got the new Chiron. <clears throat> that's oh. so much better. What what parallel universe is our podcast existing in this evening? This is like bizarro world over here. I figured we'd just keep it in the theme since we were always, you know, sure. already talking about Jay's sure. car collection. And yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Good question, though. I- interesting question because, I mean, we're ob- obviously theorizing, and the last person you should take financial advice from is us. Please don't invest in a car because we said so. But uh, But it is fun to theorize. Um, <laughs> Unless you'd like to you donate know, uh, it to the show for you know putting it on camera and uh, letting Todd drive, we around will help name. you with yes, we will help you with documentation and write-offs. We're perfectly we will, yeah. we will shoot an awfully nice piece of that car. But anyway, uh, on Instagram, Cadbury wrote in and wrote something that may seem obvious, but I wanted to add one that you may not expect. He wrote in and said, "What are our preferred summer tires?" And then his his joke was, "Since half of our podcast content is already tires, let's just talk about it further." Uh, thank you for recognizing that we believe tires matter. Um, I wish we had a tire sponsor because, boy, could we talk about that. Yeah, but, we could. Um, but I have to say, look, the obvious one here is the Michelin Pilot Supersports. I have them on my FRS, swear by them. We've been just about every car we've been in with those tires we've liked. I will say Michelin has just released their new, what, the, whatever the fourth generation they're calling it, the PS4. It's the new Pilot Supersport. Haven't been on it yet, but they, th- that will exist. That will be an interesting upgrade. But the random one that I thought of, Paul, is this one. Okay. The stock tire for the last-gen Camaro Z28, the Pirelli P0 Trofeo R. Oh, yes. Made out of old discarded erasers. That's right. Yeah, exactly. If you find yourself in a world where, for some inexplicable reason, the Pilot Supersport isn't quite doing it for you, that Trofeo R is practically bubblegum made into rubber form. It's just, it's a shockingly sticky tire. An, an incredible tire for capability. I was, I was going to add, we recommend Michelin, of course. We love that tire. Uh, I like your recommendations with the Trofeo R's. But both Todd and I have had really good experiences with Kumo. And mm-hmm. I On the other end, heard yep. Yep. at the, um, the install place, the guy told me that they don't spend the kind of marketing dollars that Michelin would you know they're not as prolific in terms of their advertising yeah, yeah, budgets, yeah. but they do still source their rubber. I think from Michelin or Goodyear. It was something like that. So, still really high quality. And both, like I said, both Todd and I have had really great experiences. I'm looking at the Exta PS ninety ones, ultra high performance. They're great. They're mm-hmm. inexpensive and really robust. We both had you know, wow. I hope that didn't damage the tire. Kind of moments, and uh, and yeah. they're fine. So. That could be a really nice uh, a nice place to go if uh, if you're not going to pop for the Michelins or the Pirelli. Excellent. For that I hadn't. I'm really glad you brought up the Kumos because I agree with you. Uh, we have had great experience, and I would I would say this isn't perfect, but I would say it's almost like ninety percent the performance of the of the Supersport at two thirds the cost. So depending upon where, what you're doing, I mean, yeah, I had great experience with the Extas for sure. Yeah. 
Yep. Well, I'll touch on three questions super quickly. Uh, Midnight Dory asks, if we could swap PDK into anything on the market, what would it be? Probably huh. my espresso machine. So it could be a little bit faster <laughs> what? in the mornings. <laughs> and uh, pretty much okay. anything. I'd put it in a Kia Soul. PDK in a Soul, I'd be happy camper. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, we, we talk about the dual clutch a lot. We like mm -hmm. uh, just about all of them right now. I mean, again, all the usual suspects make a great one. Porsche is very near the top, but you can't deny Volkswagen and BMWs, both their dual clutch, really mm -hmm. great, really delightful. And uh, it seems like it's hard to build a bad one, to be honest. It's just the fact that that well, technology of, and what it can yeah. do, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the brain behind the PDK is the shocking thing. It does a fantastic job of knowing what to do at the right moment. That's the thing about that system. Because, I mean, they're all behind the scenes. They're kind of the same, like, mechanical technology. But the way the brain integrates is the shocking thing, and the PDK does a great job on that. Um, yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. I, you know, you and I were joking recently about as we're headed to velocity for second quarter here, we're doing a lot of cutting of, of episodes, and that's where my head's been. And we were joking about the fact we may have the only non-build show on Velocity when we actually <laughs> right. launch because Velocity is, is buried right. in build shows. But, it, but having said that, you know, if, if we decide to do another show on Velocity, because, you know, we don't have anything to do and we've got plenty of money. But if we decide to do another show and we were going to do the Everyday Driver build show, I have already thought of our first two builds. Uh -oh. And one of them is the one you just mentioned, the Kia Soul with a PDK. I don't know why, but just to say we did it. We take that Kia Soul that you like so much, we put some Porsche technology in it, and we make the ultimate Paul car. And then I have to share my other one, which you and I have joked about a million times. Yeah, in L.A., in L.A., the car that you want, if, you, if you're a commuter in L.A., the car that you want is you want to buy somebody's used Prius because you want to get the one that already has the clean vehicle tag on the bumper that allows you to drive in the HOV lane with one person. Those cars are actually worth more money used because they just have that sticker. So crazy. What I want to do, what I want to do is buy one of those with the sticker on it and do what they did with the Clio back in, what was it, the 90s, where you rip out the rear seats and you put a Viper V10 in the back, <laughs> in the back seats, make it a rear-wheel drive Viper V10-driven Prius. It's not even a hybrid anymore. It just looks like the hybrid shell, but it has that telltale little sticker on it. And then I want to drive it in the HOV lane. This is my build show. I want to drive it in the HOV lane because <laughs> of that sticker with a Viper V10 driving the rear wheels. Totally. That's the Prius I want. If we There's could straight-pipe it, even better. I mean, it gets the clean, Perfect. you know, Ultra low emissions vehicle <laughs> rating anyway. So can oh, we just so straight pipe? Awful. I like the Viper or the Voodoo V8 out of the GT350, something like that. Just, yeah. you know, about two feet long of pipe. That's it. No catalytic <laughs> converter. Just pipe. Done. That is that is one of the tackiest ideas ever. But I'm just saying, you give me a build show and ridiculousness like this will occur. I don't need to make a hot rod, but a Prius with a V10 in it? Oh, Let's do that. I'm still Let's, surprised nobody's done there's this. There's absurdity. Gosh. Yeah, why not? Well, speaking of uh, HOV lanes, Grumpy IT Dude says, I have a Tesla. It's not a question, but it's bloody awesome, and he felt he needed to tell us. And we do understand. They are awesome for many reasons. <laughs> so The great. question is, does he have a Tesla with a customized license plate that is something about charged or Nikolai or no <laughs> gas or something that I, I swear there is a yeah. subclause in Tesla ownership where you have to get some sort of snarky license plate? So I would applaud you if you had a Tesla that just had a license plate on it with just <laughs> the DMV number. That would be the rarity in that world. But yeah, they are. Hey, they are very cool. Uh, we had related questions on Facebook. Uh, Jordan started it, and then Brian added to it. And the question I'm going to kind of summarize it. But the question is, Jordan's asking about a turbocharged Yaris. Might one come to uh, the general public since? Toyota is making one for World Rally, uh, so they're doing that. So he's asking about a turbocharged Yaris. Could Toyota bring this to market to compete with the Fiesta ST, or is it too little too late? Interesting question. And then Brian jumps on the question and just says, while we're talking about this, do we think Toyota is capable of making a straight-up sports car to sell in their lineup, or do they always have to partner with people? So Ooh. both guys are talking about Toyota's tendency to essentially not make straight-up sports cars anymore, the GT86 being the only exception, but it's a co-project. 
So and then now, of course, you as you've heard about the upcoming Supra is supposed to be in collaboration with BMW. So this is what leads to Brian's question and kind of jumps onto Jordan's question of what's up with Toyota and sports cars and performance cars? And I'm going to say the problem for Toyota is not – I think it's all – it's all the accountants. I hate to say it that way, but it's all bookkeeping because, as we've talked before, sports cars don't make good margins. So if you partner with somebody to make a sports car a la Subaru, a la BMW, right. you are splitting the damage, so to speak, and you're still able to wind up with something in your lineup that seems a little bit sporty. I think it is a hedge bets problem more than it is a technology problem at Toyota. That's a bit of a throwdown question. They used to. They certainly used to. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's because of technology and the changes that we've seen with hybrids and then now migrating to full electric vehicles. It seems like all those dollars are being put towards fully electric platforms. And I'm sure every manufacturer is working on their own. So when it does come to a pure sports car, that's not the market anymore. Like Todd said, that's not – you know, that's not where the dollars are. That's not where the future and the bread mm -hmm. and butter is going to be. Mm -hmm. So they've got to develop all yeah. these new technologies and push those further. So when it comes time to do a sports car that's going to be the halo and bring people to the brand, I, I don't blame them. Toyota ha does have plenty of resources, though, to do it on their own. They've proved it before. Of course. They're yeah. enormous. Yeah. And they could. So I, I scratch my head and I think, why wouldn't you just make it genuine Toyota? You've got loads of racing history in just mm -hmm. about every mm -hmm. category, from sure. NASCAR yeah. to yeah. Group B to you name it. They've got racing yeah. heritage yeah. up one side and down the other. So they definitely, definitely. could, and uh, I I would love it. I, I Honestly, I, I'd love it if they did, but maybe they've just kind of hamstrung themselves into, all right, well, we're transportation, good, reliable, great price, okay, you know, we're, we're done with it's, it. It's margins and what sells volume. And, you know, look look at the cars that they sell, the Camry and the Corolla. As much as we don't talk about them as enthusiast cars, because they aren't, even if you get the Corolla with the spoiler, spoiler still not an enthusiast car. I'm sorry, I have to keep beating on that. But, but yeah. the thing is, both those cars wind up in the top 10, both of them, top 10 best-selling vehicles every year for as far back as you'd kind of like to go. When, when that's your margin, you're going to keep making that car because I laughed the other day when um, they I saw the new uh, 86 commercial and they talked about only 8,600 of you will be able to buy one of those this year. And I thought, <laughs> how, how many minutes will it take for Toyota to sell 8,600 Corollas? Yeah. It makes my skin crawl, but, yeah. you know. I, plus, I also don't think that 8,600 is, is a bragging rights number for a limited edition car, by the way. But... <laughs> Compared to Corolla sales, it's a drop in the bucket, and that's where we are. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think they build that many in a day, don't they? Gosh. Practically, practically. Um, not a question, but I had to, I had to at least give a shout-out to uh, from, uh, from Instagram here. Uh, Z06916 is his handle, and he wrote in and he said, I don't know if you read this, Paul. He wrote in and he said, long-time listener finally ordered himself a car. <laughs> okay. Our recommendation to him, we had actually done a, a car debate for him. Our recommendation to him was to try the ZL1, 2015 ZL1, and the M235i. He went and drove them both. He liked them. It got him driving things. Then while he was out and driving things, he decided to rent himself. I don't know what happened, but he decided to rent himself an R8 V10 for the day. Then he promptly, by his description, pulled a Paul. And doubled his budget. I did see that. So he has just bought himself a 2017 Z06 Corvette. He's thrilled, and he's thanking us for it. I'm not exactly sure how our influence helped there, but what I'm thrilled about is that you got a car that you were that excited about, and you feel like we were helpful to you. So that's awesome. I just love that you drove a bunch of stuff and decided you had to pull a Paul moment and double your budget. And then you bought a car you love. Awesome. Love hey. the story. We're here for you, and uh, I, I just love that he took our financial advice. He, he got something he loves. Life is short. Buy the double your budget. Life is short, Life is double short, your budget. and your budget has nothing left. <laughs> Frightening. There's Frightening. two T-shirts yeah, on this okay. podcast. I love it. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, anyway. <laughs> I'm going to be only affording T-shirts when we're moving on. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, exactly. 
I like Dammy's question here about our favorite automotive racing livery. And mm. I am a sucker for the martini stripes. I love the martini stripes. But I also love the BMW art cars. That speaks to me, especially the mm. M3. I think it was a GTS done by um, Paul Coons in 2010. Really dug that one as well. So look up the BMW art cars. I really love the concept, and I love that it's so very BMW. It's a little bit rogue, if you know what I mean. They're, yeah, It's just kind of them. And uh, I've always loved that they've done it ever since the early 70s. So art cars and, and martini stripes for me, of course, you know, go, comes back to Porsches. You, <clears throat> yeah, not surprised. Let's see where um, I was going there. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I... I didn't pick this because it's Lotus, but I remember as a kid being very attracted to the uh, to the John Player Special livery, the black oh, livery with the gold letters. And, of yeah. course, it was a Lotus livery. And at the time, look, That's I true. was too young to realize that I liked Lotus. But <laughs> the John Player Special F1 cars, I just liked that. I liked that sleek black black and gold thing i still think that's cool i mean there's even a picture online here of a guy that took his uh lotus 211 and gave it kind of as his own golden black john player special i'm not a big livery guy i'm not a guy that really wants to go get a car in livery but the john player special stuff i always thought was cool didn't uh andretti and senna both use that livery if i'm not mistaken didn't they both have it uh Andretti Somebody will correct us Indy? at some point. Andretti, I know he did. I know he did for sure, yeah. I thought Senna did as well for some mid-'80s Formula One race. I could be wrong, but I, I thought that was the case. Anyway, I great question, very creative. And uh, speaking of creativity, Casey Cook asks me, what manufacturer do we think needs to be saved as far as exterior design goes? I don't care how hmm? many Matthew McConaughey's you hire. It's Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I did not. I did not see that coming. <laughs> one of you actually, I should find it. I'm sorry, I can't call out your name, but I'm thinking of it as you mention it. Uh, one of you actually went to your recent auto show and you tweeted from the Lincoln booth, "Lincoln, nothing to see here." <laughs> Thank right. you for listening. Thank you for sending that. It is cool. Who was that? Uh, I am I'm scrolling. I am answering your other question, by the way, Paul. And yes, Senna uh, did drive a John Player special. I wanted to make sure I'd seen a photo of it before I confirmed, but uh, the okay, has come to my defense. So yes, he did drive one. But no, the Lincoln, nothing to see here, and you bringing that up as a design <laughs> thing is just that's spectacular. Thank Talk you. Talk about that's a company wonderful. that needs creativity and. Yes, they need saving. They could – they've got the history. They've got it. And the name is there. But, man, is that product lineup need to be completely axed and shot behind the shed because we've be got – It's interesting to ugh. see what happens with this Continental. I just – I don't know. I just think it's going to be meh, more okay. And Matthew is enjoying himself in the front and the back seats and okay. I, yeah, they've they've got a gem there. They need to stop looking over their shoulder, stop looking at Bentley, stop looking at Cadillac. Do your own thing. Bring the sure. noise. Bring alternative sure. fuels or powertrains and some cool tech and some amazing styling. That would be – that would revolutionize things, I think. And hmm. follow-up to that, he's asking me if I could pick any brand to design for, which brand would that be? Surprise, it's Kia. Talk about <laughs> talk about a brand of course it is. that of course has it is. potential. I would get to work with Chris Chapman, Luke Donkervolka, and Sangyup Lee, who designed the new Camaro. I could work with all three of those guys. That would be a pleasure. That would be amazing. They're loaded with design talent. And Kia can do anything right now. They've got the Soul, the electric Soul, the new Stinger GT. And imagine if they came out with some <laughs> sort of cool roadster like the Miata or an S2000. would be cool. And it Kia, would be cool. Yeah. they could pull it off. It'd be turbocharged goodness. And that would be a cool driver's car. They could do this. They're nimble, flexible. Anything goes. They've got a good style. Uh, yeah, it'd be Kia. Done. Well, you know, Mark, uh, you're in charge of the uh, drinking game, so I'm going to call you out <laughs> and say you have to add many, many Kia categories because I remain boggled that you have uh, you Paul have such very high end and excellent exquisite taste uh, but and, and this and this desire for Porsche products and yet somehow Kia is in your upper echelon of things you are attracted to I find that amazing 
Uh, but it just proves that we can talk about all of it. That's very much the case. I, I don't know why, but yeah, Chris designed for BMW. He did the X5. Luke was the former design director of Lamborghini and Bentley. And Sang Yup did the Camaro. And now all these guys, and Peter Schreier of, of Kia and Hyundai, yeah. used to work for yeah. Audi. Why is Kia attracting this kind of talent? Why? What's Fair going point. on yeah. there? And they came out with yeah. the Stinger GT, and everybody went, that's a Kia. I want yeah. it. Yeah, I yeah, want yeah. to drive Exciting. it. I'm I'm floored, and so I'm just I'm so attracted to this. They can do anything right now, and I'd probably mm, like it. Yeah. Well, but but you know what? You just struck on something else, though. They have the opposite problem, not even problem. They are free from Lincoln's problem. Uh-huh. They are a brand uh-huh. without a history that they have to that they feel like they have to reference. Sure. And so they sure. are able to charge and, and blaze their own trail and go, who are we and what do we want to be known for? And what are our icons? Because our icons are yet to be made versus a brand like Lincoln who's looking back in the 1960s and the, you know, the suicide door Lincoln Continental and going, let's go back to that. Right. So right. what an interesting juxtaposition in those two companies. Kia is still going, what do we want to be? Lincoln's going, what were we? You know? Kia is It's a fascinating thing to think about. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. They can even, do whatever um, they want. I, I love that you said that. Even Patrick Lloyd referenced the Kia Pro C GT, which is available in the UK and not in the US. Gorgeous, great looking hatch. I want to drive it. Not available mm. in the US. Why on earth not? I, yeah. Come on. That car would sell. It'd be another hot hatch option. Patrick, thanks for calling that out. And uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm just intrigued by the the unshackled nature of Kia. It doesn't matter sure. that they're I see that. okay. So they're you know less expensive cars. That's actually even better for them. I think. Agreed. Agreed. You know. Yep. That's a plus. Yep. Anyway, what other questions did you have before we wrap this podcast up? I th- oh, there are a <laughs> million, amazed. but I think I think we've reached a great place to to call it for the night. I mean, I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, obviously, twice a week we keep doing these podcasts. That is going to continue, even though we're doing the March for TV and trying to keep the YouTube channel up at the same time. It is a lot, but you guys respond wonderfully to it. So thank you. We welcome your reviews and your ratings on any of the content you're consuming. We're getting a lot of really nice emails from you as well, and we appreciate that. We are still reading all the emails. And uh, you can write to us, everydaydriver.com or everydaydrivertv at gmail with your own car debate. And we'd love for you to rate the podcast as well. Agreed, agreed. Thank you, guys, as Todd said. Really appreciate your interaction. It's a lot of fun to read the questions. Even though we can't get to all of them, please keep reposting if you feel like that. And uh, we're going to do our best. But uh, until next time, thanks, everyone. Cheers.